Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. The Danny Mac Show with BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Monday edition of the show. Hopefully you had a great weekend. Dan McLaughlin show with BK. Tanner is our producer and engineers. We take you up into uh, BK and Alex, and then uh, they're going to have you for three hours. A reminder, there is Blues hockey coming up tonight. The Blues and the Ducks, the pregame at 8. And we had actual baseball yesterday, a 4-4 tie. The St. Louis Cardinals uh, came back with a Ivan Herrera. Weak round ball that's short, went under the glove. And uh, all of a sudden, two runs scored, tied it up 4-4, and that's how the game ended. There are some positives to take away, though, from this game. And BK, good morning to you. Good morning, Dan. I thought my guy, John Nagowski, was going to be able to win that one there at the end. You are all over the John Nagowski bandwagon. You love that guy. Well, if I can't be, who can? You know, somebody's got to pull for him. It's a Nagowski world. We're all just living in it. That's what I'm trying to say, Dan. He looks good, by the way. He told us that he lost a little bit of weight this offseason. He looks like he's in really good shape. Yeah. I thought uh, Jack Flaherty squeezed a bit in the first couple of innings, went 37 pitches, and then mechanically you could see probably tired. Um, You know, guys just aren't really built up until the end of the month. But 37 pitches, um, I throw it out the window. Not a big deal. I look at it, 37 pitches, and you come away healthy. And so it's a day that you build up. I'm sure he can't wait to get back out on the mound, and he will do so this weekend. But, uh, you know, so-so with him. Then you look at John Gant, really good. Cabrera, I thought was good. I thought Alex Reyes was sensational. Uh, Connor Jones, who pitched yesterday, I thought did a good job cleaning up an inning. So there were some positives on the pitching side to take away. I thought the guy that was the standout performer of the game was Alex Reyes, though. I mean, you mentioned he, awesome. it. he he looked fantastic. And Dan, I I've said all along, I don't believe that he's going to be a guy that they should put in the rotation, not as in every fifth day starter, just because I would worry about the innings, the workload ramping up too quickly. Oh, man, it's going to be really tough to keep him out of there. If you get to the middle of the season all-star break and down the stretch, he's still healthy and he looks like this. If he's going two, three innings at a time, which is possible as a reliever, it's going to be really difficult to keep that guy out of your rotation down the stretch. I don't think so. I, I think if he is that guy and that's his role, no, 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 you don't move him. I, I think you keep him as a weapon in the bullpen let him have the success success that he's having. Don't change anything of his routine and then worry about next year, next year. Um, and I understand your point. Now, if you have multiple injuries in spring, so Michaelis, you Oof. don't know about him going forward. Uh, you know, KK, they're being very cautious with him. No injuries, but just being cautious with him. But my point being is if you had injuries, then it changes to me the, the complexion of how you look at what you do with Alex Reyes. But, man, could that be a weapon? And, he, he, you know, he's the kind of guy that could close games out, too, initially, or in the middle of the season, or late, or give you a three-inning save, those kind of things. So that I'm, I'm just very careful more so with his routine than maybe some of the others. 100%. He's got to be like, if you're, if you're handling anybody cautiously, it's got to be him right now because what we saw yesterday, if that is sustainable, big if, given what the history has been, 
He's one of the most electric pitchers, regardless of starter or reliever, in all of baseball right now. The other question that I wanted to ask you about coming off of that one, Dan, and I know you just talked about this a little bit with Randy. We see the uh, lineup come out midday yesterday. Early in the morning, I'm waking up, I'm going through Twitter, scrolling through, and I see the lineup. Matt Carpenter, designated hitter, batting second in your Cardinals lineup. Is that a surprise for you? I think what... There's a couple ways to look at it. Number one, you sometimes put guys at the top of the lineup to get veterans their at-bats and then get them out. So I don't look at it as this is like the competitive lineup that I'm going forward with. I'm trying to get him his at-bats and then get him out of the game. So get him his two at-bats. What's the best way to do it? Well, put him near the top of the lineup. The other thing, too, is that if you're looking to try to get somebody going and get him off on the right foot, where would you put him? Put him batting second. That's what we've talked about with Tyler O'Neill, yeah. Paul DeYoung. Like, if they want to get creative, we've talked about those guys. I hadn't really considered the idea of Matt Carpenter there. I hadn't either. And I, I would think if this was a normal game, if, if we're on April 1st and even if there is a DH and Carpenter would be your designated hitter, I, I would be probably more inclined to put Dylan Carlson as my number two hitter. But I do see why they're doing it. If you're going to try to get the most out of Carpenter, put him in the best position to succeed. And for him or anybody in that Cardinal lineup, hitting in front of those two bats, you're probably going to get some pitches to hit. And that's why you would do it. You are. um, I was surprised given which game this was. If it was the fifth game of spring training, they wouldn't get him at his at bats. No surprise at all that he ends up batting second, right? That's that's kind of the way that it goes. But they typically treat treat this as a bit of a dress rehearsal. You've got Jack Flaherty, your opening day starter on the mound. The rest of the lineup made a lot of sense. That's kind of what I would expect on opening day. The one real surprise, of course, was Dylan Carlson batting towards the bottom of the lineup and Matt Carpenter batting second. PK. That's what stood out to me. It's spring training game number one. I know, but we treat this as a dress rehearsal. And so to, to me, seeing Matt Carpenter batting second was very surprising. My... My off base here? I, I don't feel like I was the only one that felt that way yesterday. I, I think that we dissect lineups and it's, and I get it. We're, we're a great baseball town. Spring training game one on, in February. Absolutely. Let's pump the brakes. I, I was just surprised by it. it. I mean, nothing we can do about it, but I was, I was very surprised to see Matt Carpenter batting second and okay. Dylan Carlson batting seven. Let me ask you this. How much money is Matt Carpenter making this year? Oh, a ton. Okay, yeah. so what are you trying to do? You're trying to get guys ready. You're trying to put them in the best position to succeed. Sure. So I don't look, I don't care if he batted ninth. I don't care if he batted cleanup. I don't care. Just put him in a position that he's going to get pitches to hit. And so the best place to get him off on the right foot, he could be a key, is to put him in front of guys that you know are going to give him some type of protection, even in spring training game number one. If that pitcher is out there, he's saying, man, I'm looking at this inning. I don't want a crooked number. And the way to do it is to get this guy out, Carpenter. So I'm going to be around the plate. Now, Matt walked his first time and then grounded out the second time, but I don't put a lot into it. It was Edmund at the top, Carpenter, their DH batting second, Goldschmidt, Arenado, DeYoung, Molina, Carlson, O'Neill, and Bader. Loved what I saw with Bader. Got a double into right center. Love what I see out of Dylan Carlson taking the ball the other way. But I it, look, I get it. I mean, people dissect lineups any way they want. Kind of a hot button issue in town at times is what to do with Matt Carpenter now that Arenado is here. But I, I don't put much stock into it at all. Okay. Uh, I, I put a little bit of stock. I wouldn't be stunned to see him batting closer to the top of the lineup in game number one after seeing that yesterday. Just knowing the way that they. What if he has a good spring? Would you have a problem with it? 
I would prefer to see him towards the bottom of my lineup and then work his way up. But but if if you're putting him in the best possible position to have success, which is, look, we have an aging player that's worked really hard. He's he did a ton of stuff this offseason to try to get the Mm -hmm. most out of this final year. And if this is the best place we can do it, why not try to maximize that? Because I would rather try to maximize one of my younger players that I can get more of in the future. I understand that there's a lot of money that you have wrapped up in Matt Carpenter, but I have more invested for the long term in guys like Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson and Paul DeYoung. So I would rather get them going for the here and now and for the future to see what that looks like as opposed to Matt Carpenter, who is very likely in the last year of his deal here in St. Louis. Talk to Mike Schilt. The media did after the game says there's a lot of positives after game one. You know, there's a lot, a lot of positives take away from the game. I'm sure some other questions will follow. But generally speaking, um, you know, we'll start with the defense. I thought it was really good. Um, really clean. O'Neal makes a nice play. Um, cutoff and relay was really well executed. Uh, Sosa makes a nice play going to his left. Um, you know the back. You know outfitters on point. Back in the bases, Dean was really getting after in the right spot. Um, other Yachty was great. You know, I mean, you know, really midseason form blocking. Um, you know, swung the bat well. And uh, you know, I thought it was a, a overall. You know, got a lot of guys in there and. And guys were ready to go and, and looked like they were, you know, in a position to be ready to compete. After watching that play by Nolan Gorman, I think you do go to Arenado and say, would you be okay to go to second base? Now, that's a joke, BK. <laughs> it's a joke. You got that vibe. Uh, Nolan Gorman, though, hell of a play. That was outstanding. That kid might be pretty good. Oh, he's going to uh, be really good. I think he might have a future for himself in the big league, Stan. I... He is probably the one of the guys that we don't expect to be on the big league roster on opening day. He might be the one that I'm the most excited about his outlook for this season, because if he can project as a second baseman, if he can do that, suddenly you've got some really interesting options with Tommy Edmond being able to move all over the field. Gorman projecting at a at a spot that could potentially be open for him there. He's probably the number one guy in AAA among the position players that I'm most interested in seeing. For sure. Um, I don't know. You know, the tentacles of the Arenado deal are massive. You know, we just talked about Matt Carpenter coming off the bench and being maybe your left-handed option or a DH. Tommy Edmond now every day at second base. You may have thought about putting Tommy Edmond at third base. But what you do have now is I think that you can pause the button on rushing Gorman. You know, if the other guys perform, you say, look, let's give Nolan Gorman a chance to get settled in at second base or the outfield and see some balls off the bat. You don't feel like you're rushed. So my point is, is like if you would have gone into this year and Carpenter's there every day and struggled, what do you think the talk would be every day on your show? Boy, what's Nolan Gorman doing? Do we need to bring him up? Do do the Cardinals need to look at this? Does it need to happen right now? No. Hell, even if the offense is just struggling as a whole, it it would be could Nolan Gorman save this, right? Kind of the idea of what we had at the end of last season with Carlson. Can Carlson be the savior? It's a ton of pressure for a young guy. And Carlson, you could tell after the second time through, had made adjustments. And those are the kind of things that you're, you're going to see once you get into games and the the normal pitchers start to when I say normal I mean the the guys that are in the starting five staff and you you've got him facing big league pitching that's what I'm interested in in spring training especially two weeks from now three weeks from now Cardinals are taking on the Nationals and Max Scherzer's on the mound 
and you put him in the second spot in the lineup so that he faces Max Scherzer or Steven Strasburg or Patrick Corbin, those kind of guys, that's when you start to get a better understanding of where he's at. Because when you get into the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth innings of some of these games, those are minor league pitchers. And what are minor league pitchers trying to do? Command the zone. It's one of the reasons that they're not in the major leagues. So I'm looking forward to that. That's something I can't wait to see. We're going to take a bunch of questions, by the way, on the text line, 65780. 65780, if you want to jump in, question, comment, yell at us, whatever you want to do, it is all there for you. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Air Comfort Service text line is open to you. A bunch of these questions kind of try to get through these. 314 Danny Mac, BK, what role do you think Daniel Ponce de Leon plays this year? Well, it may depend on what happens this week, in my opinion, with Miles Michaelis. Let's make sure he comes out of that with a clean bill of health. We're going to see, by the way, Daniel pitch uh, tomorrow. He'll piggyback, if you will, with Adam Wainwright. I look at him as being kind of that middle reliever guy, too, with Henesis Cabrera, maybe a John Gant. John Gant, by the way, looked terrific yesterday. I just love John Gant in the bullpen. I, yes, he's good at baseball, by the way. That was trending on Twitter. So uh, I like those that, that group of guys, Cabrera, Gant, Daniel Ponce de Leon, um, Alex Reyes, you know, you think about those guys coming in after your starting five, there's not a huge drop off, if any at all. And in some cases it might be a plus because you got guys throwing high to mid nineties, um, with nasty stuff. And as long as they stay healthy, this is where the Cardinals could separate themselves from a lot of teams in this uh, division and certainly in the league. I love it. And I'm really curious for your perspective on this, Dan, if, if one of those guys were to go down, if one of the current starting five that we're anticipating with, Flaherty, Wayno, Michaelis, KK, and Martinez. If one of those guys were to go down, who do you think would be the next man up? Because I think for a lot of fans, they would look at Ponce as being in that role. Do you think they would go down to AAA, dip into that that rotation, or is it somebody that's currently on the big league roster? In my mind, I think they look at John Gant, and I don't. I I would rather see him in the bullpen because he's so effective there. And I'm not saying he can't be effective as a starter, but they've given and been public about it and saying, you're going to have a shot. So he built up as a starter. And if he continues to pitch like he did yesterday, keep stretching him out, give him that shot. You know, a lot of it too, BK, is about, in my opinion, and and having done this a lot of years, it's just, yeah, you're helping your team. What's your best option to win games? But also you're trying to help if this guy is the option and he wants to start, maybe you're getting the best out of him in that regard too, and it's best for his career. There's a little carrot there for him. Absolutely. Like, hey, if, That's if what I, I mean. know that it's real, they're actually they're telling me to get ready as a starter and That's there's right. real opportunities there as opposed to them just continually stringing you along. Well, the other thing too is that, you know, I look at like, let's say Ryan Helsley a couple years ago. Oh, yeah, stretch out as a starter. Come in. You're going to be a star- he didn't. He wasn't going to start. Now, he might have done it in the minor leagues, but they knew there was a need at the bullpen of the Cardinals of whatever season that was, 2018 or 2019. So he could give you multi-innings, but still was throwing triple digits. So, you know, I, I think sometimes they put that carrot out there to make sure guys are stretching out, mm-hmm. doing the things that they need to do. But this one's legitimate in my mind. If if someone would go down and knock on wood, it doesn't happen. But John Gann, I think, would get that crack. Daniel Ponce de Leon, maybe even Henesis Cabrera. I don't know if you want two lefties in your pen now or in your rotation. You have 
potentially three with Miller, Webb, and Cabrera. But Cabrera could give you the option to also close some games out. So that's something to think about. I'd be really interested to see what John Gant looks like as a starter. And the other thing that we've got to keep in the back of our mind for all of this, the conversations that we're having right now, Dan, is this is all setting up for 2022 as well. Like John Mosaylock's job is to keep the big picture of you, right? Sure. It's let's look at the here and now. And also what's this mean for 22, 23, 24, Mike Schilt's job is more of the, what's this mean for the here and now. And so it's a balance certainly between the two. And if you're looking at John Gant, it, it could also be, what does this mean for him next year in our rotation? When Wayno is likely gone and when KK is likely gone, when Carlos is likely gone, you're going to have some openings in that starting rotation next year. We'll see what Dakota Hudson looks like at that point, if he's 100%. But even if Hudson's in there, that still leaves two more open spots, potentially for Reyes plus one more guy. Five, seven, three, uh, one spring training game. I take away guys was uh, the bullpen. Not a surprise outfield. Welcome us a, a welcome surprise. It's one a spring training game, best position groups. Well, here's, here's the thing I took away from watching that game yesterday. I started doing the, um, I looked up at the screen and I looked at, wow, there he is. Nolan Arenado at third base. There's Goldie at first. There's DeYoung, who's been a finalist for a gold glove. I think Tommy Edmond projects to be really good defensively at uh, second base. Tyler O'Neill made a terrific catch down in the corner in left field. Also on another ball, got it in quickly, held a, uh, a hitter to a single, could have been a double. You got Bader in center, and, and you got Carlson. a double yesterday. How about I like that, that. Dan? I know that's your guy, it's my and, boy. And you got Carlson in right, and you got Yachty behind the plate. It, it just when you finally see it on the field, like we've been talking about it forever, but when you finally see it come together, you go, "Wow, this might be the best defensive group out there." In, in certainly in the National League, maybe in baseball. I could make that case. I really could. It's one of the best Cardinals defensive groups that we've seen in the last 20 years. And like that is that is not me being hyperbolic. It's true because what you just said is also so. It very well may be the best defensive team in baseball going into this season. And so when we talk about all of these starting pitchers and the bullpen arms that we love, it's not just that they have strikeout stuff. It's not just that they project to be really good. It's also when you look at the guys behind them that are picking it, they're going to get a lot of help throughout the year. So I know all the advanced nerdy numbers will maybe not love the Cardinals pitching, but it doesn't matter what they would look like with a neutral fielder behind them. They have this defensive group behind them. And so all we have to worry about is can they pitch well to the defense that is behind them here in St. Louis? The other thing I took away doing the game was if this was a normal game and it's not, it's a spring training game and you know, they wrapped up inning number one and they finished in a four, four tie, but you look at how things could play out in a regular season game. And if you're throwing out of the bullpen, John Gant, Cabrera, Reyes, they're going to be awfully good. And that's where they're going to win a lot of their games. That's where I thought they won a lot of the games last year was the fact that they could get to the middle of their bullpen. And by, you know, it was out of desperation because guys weren't built up. They had to go to their bullpen and all of a sudden they're rolling these arms out and it kept you in games, despite the fact that your offense wasn't where it needed to be. So if you could pitch like that, you're going to stay in a lot of games this year, a lot. They have one of, if not the deepest pitching staffs in all of baseball. And we've been saying that all off season. And now we're starting to see that in spring training games. And that's, 
I mean, you mentioned last week, we talked about what are you most excited to see in these games? And Nolan Arenado was clearly at the top of that list, right? We saw him for the first time in a Cardinals uniform yesterday, and he got a standing ovation, which was quite the moment down in spring training. That's cool. But it's also these arms. Like, I just want to see what all of these arms look like when they're in this big league camp. Who Who's able to shine? Who is able to, I mean, this is going to be a little bit of a camp competition. Who's able to rise above and earn those last spots in the bullpen? That's one of the strengths of the team, if not the strength of the team, along with the defense. What do you think of having fans in the stands? Loved it. Uh, yeah. Absolutely loved it. it made man. a difference, didn't it? I, I, you know, I, I thought about it going into the game yesterday and it was what, 1,200, 1,300 people mm-hmm. stadium. I don't know. It seats like, like 6,500 or 7,500, whatever the case may be. But just seeing fans in the stands, you know, Paul DeYoung talked about the fact that it, it gave you a sense of normalcy. His dad was in the crowd. Dad got to watch him in person for the first time in a long time. Uh, Arenado after the game talked about the fact that there's going to be family members watching him in spring training, had a chance to do so yesterday. He talked how special it was to get the ovation, despite the fact it was a, a small crowd, but I'm telling you what, man, I, it just made a difference seeing fans in the stands. I did get a little concerned with the plastic on the seats. If anybody could find the ball coming <laughs> off the bat after it rained and the sun was shining, it looked like it would have been a tough background. It's hard to tell on TV as opposed to being there, but to the greater point, I'm curious what are some of our listeners, and we're getting a bunch of uh, texts here, but just having fans in the stands, you're, you're viewing pleasure. It had to be better just to see a sense of normalcy of people in the ballpark. Well, and think about it from the player's perspective too, right? If you're one of those guys, like we heard so much about how COVID affected them and how being kind of stuck in their hotel rooms on the road, that can mentally drain you. It's also just looking up into the stands, especially at a home game and seeing your wife or seeing your daughter or seeing your mom and dad like that stuff matters. And we don't think about it a whole lot because they're professional athletes. They're paid handsomely to do a job. That's a kid's game. We all know all of this, but they are also humans and not being able to see a whole lot of your family throughout the year when you have a while a fun job, a grinding job of playing one hundred and sixty two baseball games. Having them there watching you, being able to see them and blow a little kiss as you're getting ready to go up to the plate, like that stuff matters. And it is significant for them to be able to have them back in the stands again. 618, Danny Mack, question on your take on Reyes. How much longer do you treat him with kid gloves? He's a year and a half removed from Tommy John, turns 27 in August. If he can stretch out and handle more innings now, why wouldn't you use that as a weapon as a starter? It is a legitimate question. You brought up the point. Uh, I just don't think you would do that in the middle of the season. I think once you get going... So, for instance, if there's an injury in spring training, yes, that I would look at that as being an option. I love him coming out of the bullpen. I do treat him with kid gloves because he is a superior talent. I think he'll be in the rotation if everything goes right for next year. I wouldn't do it in the middle of a season with a guy like that. Maybe somebody else I would, but not with him. Yeah, I've had my stance on this. It's unwavered. Despite what I said earlier, Dan, it's it's been unwavering throughout the entire offseason. I would not start him this year if I could have my druthers, and right? you have other options. You have so many options and, and good options, too. It's not just you're going to throw somebody into the rotation. You've got good, good pitchers that you can throw in there. I, I would want him to be in that two or three inning long relief role. So that way I can build up some innings this year, get That's him to around do. 100 innings, and then next year – 
That's that's my target date. 2022 is when I want to see Alex Reyes in this rotation. Uh, Danny Mack, quick question here. Do you think attendance could increase throughout the year? Heard eight to 12,000 opening day, possible 40 to 50% capacity come July. You know, my understanding with this BK, and I, I asked Bill DeWitt III, the Cardinal president, about this, is that they can go to almost 30% and then geometrically in the stadium with the bowl and the way it works to be socially distant and your pods and that kind of thing. That's about max. And then you open it. Then it's like, okay, all bets are off. Once we're past that point or hit that point, then it's uh, it's a full ballpark. So, no, I don't think we'll go to 40 or 50. It'll probably stay right right around 30. Yeah, that's, that's what I have read as well. And that's going to be tough for the Cardinals this year, like especially because this team projects to be pretty darn good. And so if you're getting into July and it's still at 30%, that's going to be a bummer. Hopefully things start or continue going in the right trajectory. These vaccinations are going out and hopefully things are at a normal ish level by midsummer and we can start seeing closer to 100 percent capacity. Be so nice. This is the Danny Mac show with BK, the podcast powered by I promise. One of my favorite people in the world is Earl Austin Jr. who does just an amazing job of uh, covering the high school scene. And for years, he has been with the SLU broadcast and a Billiken Hall of Famer. It is senior night tonight. And Earl Austin Jr. has been kind enough to give us a few minutes here on 101 ESPN. With BK, I'm Danny Mack. And uh, Earl, great to hear your voice. How are things going? It's going fine. Great to hear your voice as well, Danny Mack. How about senior night? It, it just... I can't believe it's the end for Hassan French and Jordan Goodwin. Unfortunately, there's going to be just a handful of uh, fans in attendance. But what have those two meant to this program specifically since Travis Ford took over? It's really been a blessing to have these two in the program. They've really helped turn around St. Louis U basketball again. Uh, we had got followed on some hard times. And the day the thing really started when uh, Jordan Goodwin gave his commitment to St. Louis University. He was a player of the year. He led all talk to a state championship and he had been recruited by some major universities and to get his commitment was, uh, was, was huge for the program. And he stepped in and uh, has given us four great years, a conference championship and just best rebounding guard, just the heart and the soul of this program. And then Hassan French will probably go down as one of the best defensive players that we've ever had in this program. He's already the career shot blocking leader. He guards the perimeter on pick and roll. He's just a hard worker, good rebounder, double, double guy, and uh, just toughness and athleticism personified. And these guys have kind of just kind of been the what the Billiken basketball has been under Travis Ford. We like to attack the paint, attack the boards, tough rebound defense. And these two more than anybody has exemplified what Billiken basketball has been all about the last four years. Earl, it's so disappointing that SLU and any team getting hit with COVID, any individual, but SLU, it hit them at a time when they had this thing rolling. They were in the top 25, and now it may be very tough for them to get into the big dance, the NCAA tournament. What do you think their chances are of getting in? Got to keep winning, no question about it. Playing good basketball, in the top 25, then you're on, then you lose 34 days. That's just tough. And uh, they're kind of, you know, they, we've had some ups and downs since then, but there's still some to, to play for. Obviously, it starts with UMass tonight, but I think we're going to have to have a long run in the conference tournament, perhaps win it uh, to uh, to get our, you know, get our, you know, make our NCAA hopes come true. 
I'm curious, Earl, with Jordan Goodwin, what is his legacy at SLU? I know you talked about how he was kind of the start of this run, but how do you think he's going to be remembered by SLU fans in the big picture sense? Oh, I mean, his competitiveness. He's a, And we've had some great competitive players. You know, he's kind of like a smaller version of Anthony Bonner, where he was when he was a star at St. Louis University. We've never had a, rebound, a guard who rebounded like he is. Not many programs have. 6'3". I always have to give a disclaimer when Rammer gives the stats. Oh, Jordan had 15 rebounds. Then I have to say, remember, folks, Jordan is a 6'3 point guard. <laughs> I mean, and then he scores. And then, he, then he's been playing point guard because our starting point guard, Yuri Collins, has been banged up. Then he'll go out and guard the, the opposite point guard. I mean, he just does everything. And uh, I think that's just what he does. It's just the competitiveness that he's shown. Just uh, refuses to get beat, even when he struggles. He's just going to do something to make a play for us to help us win basketball games. And the fact that he's a local guy just makes it even sweeter. He's always reminded me of another former um, Travis Ford guard and Marcus Smart. Do you think he would, Jordan Goodwin, could carve out an NBA career similar to what Marcus Smart has? We'll see. Uh, I think that was kind of the selling point when Travis recruited him because Marcus played a lot of point guard at Oklahoma State. And then the recruiter, Jordan, said, you you got to remind me of Marcus. Marcus really is, you know, they, 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 they defend their, that toughness. Jordan has really improved as a shooter. And I think that's one of the main things to be in today's NBA at that guard position, uh, to shoot the basketball. I think Jordan has really improved in that regard as well. So we'll see. Hopefully he can get a look. Um, he does everything else well. He defends, he'll handle the ball, and he'll do what it takes to try to win basketball games. Just that NBA is a tough one tough hard enough to crack it's a great league and uh be a lot of good players trying and hopefully get that opportunity we were hearing that javante perkins may return to slude that is now the case officially coming back with another year what do you think that does for the program earl and what kind of beyond slew basketball career does javante have he definitely has an opportunity to, to earn uh whether it's in the nba or overseas because he can get buckets Javante is a three-level scorer, meaning he can get to the basket, he can pull up and hit the mid-range jump shot, or he can shoot the three-point shot. And he's been one of the best in the league at doing that and has been kind of one of our go-to guys since for the last year and a half of, the, of, uh, of our basketball season. Uh, he's got a great opportunity. I think coming back, it's, it's a great for the program because he gives you that one guy who you can go to and get a bucket. And I think it gives him an opportunity to get a little bit stronger, a little bit more physical because teams have adjusted to just starting to just pummel him physically uh, to keep him from scoring. So he comes back, gets a little stronger. I think it'll help him play through this contact and uh, really help his chances of uh, you know, going to the NBA that following year. Earl Austin Jr. joining us here on 101 ESPN. Earl, I wanted to ask you, because I know you're not just SLU, you're also St. Louis basketball, high school and otherwise. What's the what's the current St. Louis crop look like? Are there going to be a bunch of more a bunch more guys that we need to watch over the next couple of years that could become the next Jason Tatums in the NBA? Who who's kind of on the up and up that St. Louis basketball fans should be watching out for? Well, at the high school level, our, our class in 2022 is really strong. Of course, our top 2021s are fine. Nick Kern from Vashon is going to VCU. Uh, Jordan Nesbitt uh, from uh, uh, St. Louis Christian and Luther North. He's already he's at Memphis, and I believe he's already there at Memphis. So those are some pretty good players. 
class of 22 is a lot of good players. Uh, you mentioned Larry Hughes, his son, Larry Hughes Jr., the junior at CBC. Probably the top juniors, Terrace Reed, junior out of Chaminade, six foot ten inch uh, forward, being recruited from coast to coast. Kellen Thames, of course, his father is Kelly Thames. He's had a great junior season at Pattonville, a six foot five uh, combo guard, led them to a conference championship and 22 wins. So there's just a lot of good, good players. Uh, in that in that class of 22 but those are just a few that you know and where is uh slew mizzou illinois and trying to get some of these guys they're all in the mix no doubt about it they've all offered these kids they're really uh working hard but like you said they're uh, a lot of these kids would be like kellen's i think he's got an offer from georgetown i know terrace has been offered by you know florida michigan state uh nebraska and other schools in that big 10 big 12 so uh Blues offered, you know, Kellen. They've offered uh, uh, Brian Taylor from the SMAT, uh, Damian Mayo out of Chaminade, good players, all in that junior class. So all the locals are in after him. But when you're good, that means everybody else is coming in as well. What do you think about Mizzou and Illinois shot uh, Mizzou just to get in, I think, at this point? I do think they're in, but, you know, a couple wins wouldn't certainly hurt. But Mizzou and Illinois shot come big dance time. What do you think? I think Mizzou is definitely in, even though they, they struggled the last couple of games, but their body of work leading up to the last few weeks, the road wins, even the wins at home against Illinois and Alabama, I think that's got should have them safely in. They just got to get their mojo back before the tournament to make a run. Illinois has an opportunity. They're one of four, three or four Big Ten teams that can make a deep run. Obviously getting I.O. back healthy. It's a big key to how far they can go in the NCAA tournament, but uh, they've got the pieces to, uh, to to do some damage in the tournament once they get there. Hey, Earl, we'll have you tuned in tonight. Thanks for everything you do for uh, high school kids in our area and for St. Louis U. It's always great to listen to you and Rammer on the games and really enjoy your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. You got it. That is the great one, Earl Austin Jr. Love visiting with him. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Great to hear from Earl Austin Jr. Thanks to Earl. Uh, Cardinals have just sent out a press release, the 21 Cardinals Hall of Fame ballot. The nominees have been announced, and you can select one former Cardinal to join the 2020 class because that was canceled, obviously, last year with John Tudor and Tommy Herr and Bill White. And the fan voting is open now through April 17th, cardinals.com slash HOF. They have revealed that it is Steve Carlton, Keith Hernandez, Matt Morris, Edgar Renteria, Lee Smith is the five players nominated for possible induction into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. It's got to be the year for Keith Hernandez. I'm I'm stunned that Keith Hernandez is not in yet. One of the best defensive first baseman ever, an all-time great Cardinal. I understand that you wish that he would have finished his career here, but this is a Hall of Famer for the Cardinals. He's got to get in, right? In my mind, it should be already done with the Cardinals Hall of Fame. And I would say this, too. He's borderline Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. He's not only a great defensive first baseman. I'll make the case he's the best that ever played defensively at first base. And he won a world championship 1982 with the Cardinals. 1986, the Mets. And that famous team with Bill Buckner and the ball that went through his legs. Mookie Wilson. I I just think playing in New York, he's kind of the captain of that team. He needs to have a consideration of the Veterans Committee for Baseball's Hall of Fame. But in terms of the Cardinal Hall of Fame, MVP, 
82 championship. List goes on and on. The gold glove, silver slugger. It's like a no-brainer. Have you looked back at his 1979 season, That's Dan? That's incredible. It's unbelievable. A 344 batting average led the league in batting average that year. 116 runs. Runs scored 116 and finished that season with 48 doubles. Talk about a classic gap to gap hitter. 48 doubles, 11 triples, yep. and 11 homers. 11 Put up triples. 105 RBI. That's ridiculous. For your first baseman using the uh, turf at the big old ballpark <laughs> of Bush Stadium, too. Uh, we've got hockey coming up tonight here on 101 ESPN. The pregame is at 8, and one of the points of conversation from the weekend. How fired up Jordan Bennington was. Here's his coach, Craig Berube. You know, Bennington showing the fire he showed tonight when I pulled him. I thought that was great. <laughs> I loved it. And then he went after everybody. You don't see that very often. No, a guy, you don't. A goaltender going after three different guys and basically went after the bench. It was awesome. I loved it. That was so much fun to see that. And it did have a residual effect on the game. It did. Um, I think less so than some are trying to make it out to be. I, oh, I thought it was it fun. Up. I thought it was build fun it as up. hell. Absolutely. I got no issue with them playing it up the way that they have. But I do think it, it, it discredits some of the other guys that played really, really well on Saturday night, Dan. I do want to play you this bit of audio from Evander Kane. I don't know if you heard this, but I after the game on Saturday night, Evander Kane was asked about Jordan Bennington doing this. We know they've got a little bit of a history together. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess maybe we'll have something to report in his next interview. Uh, seems like they do a lot of talking and... Uh, too bad I wasn't on the ice for that. <laughs> Devin Dubnik, by the way, basically saying, hey, he's 165 pounds. He should watch himself after yeah. the game. I think there might be a, a little bit of bad blood, blood the next time these two teams are able to meet this year. The, my favorite goaltender fight, Shevel Day and uh, Cujo, that was as good as it could get. It's a just a free-for-all out there. There's gloves and sticks everywhere, and then all of a sudden, there they go. And the goalie's going after yeah. it. When you see the goalie's going after it's it. It's amazing. It is because they got all the pads on and, they, you know, they just look like two boxes getting ready to go at it. It's awesome. I love it. By the way, these two teams meet next Monday night. Oh, that'll next carry over. Monday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so wasn't this what we wanted out of this schedule? Yes. This is why I love the idea of these series. Like, you know this, Dan, whenever you're in a baseball series, there's stuff that can carry oh, yeah. over if there's anything that gets heated between the two teams. It's now happening in hockey. This is what we love, right? This is why we love this sport. It's because of the physicality, because of the intensity. We're finally starting to see that more and more. Now, that was fun. Uh, you've got Scott Burnside coming up. Is that correct? He's coming up at 1 o'clock. We're going to get things started with the Blues coming up at 1130. We will continue our countdown of the 20 most important day, uh, Cardinals for 2021. It's with a guy that looked pretty darn good over the weekend, Dan. We'll get into that coming up at 1130. BK, Alex, they're coming up next. This is 101 ESPN, and I'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. You've been listening to The Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.